Let's look at the Word of God together today. We're going to start this morning by looking at an amazing Old Testament story um, of a guy I'm sure you heard about, a name that you can't spell, at least I can't. Can anybody spell Nebuchadnezzar? You know? Um, you know what I did in my notes the whole time I wrote Nebuchadnezzar at one time and I wrote Neb after that every time. How do you spell Nebuchadnezzar? Well, we're going to look at a guy named Nebuchadnezzar to start with. If you're visiting, we're going through the book of James. We'll get to James in a little while, but we're going to look at Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar leading into what James has to say uh, to us in a, in a few minutes. So Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't know who he is, and you can, if you've got your Bible, uh, you can open up to the, to the book of Daniel. Because that's where we're going to find something about Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4, we'll get to that in, in a few minutes. Um, but we're going we're gonna to look at this guy that, that Nebuchadnezzar was a king. And he was the king of ancient Babylon. And I know in, in, the, in the scriptures we understand Babylon, we think of it as a, as a bad place. People who destroyed the people of God and, and they were. But we're going to find something out about Nebuchadnezzar that God was really involved in his life. And he is the king that led his army to attack and destroy Jerusalem. And um, he, was, you know, he, he was the one who, um, with his armies, overran the land of Judah. And he did something that is, was pretty bad back then. He went into the temple of God in Jerusalem, and he took a bunch of the articles that were meant for worship, and he took them back to his idol temple. Um, he also... Um, went into town, didn't take the, just stuff out of the temple, but he took the best and the brightest of the young men from Judah and he brought them to Babylon to be trained and to be enculturated so they could serve the king. Now among the people that he took are some names you might recognize. If you know anything about veggie tales, you would recognize them. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. Um, now, now Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon. It was the greatest um, nation on earth. It was the most powerful kingdom. And he, at that time, was the most powerful man in the entire world. How would you like to know that? The most powerful person on the planet. And one day, Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of his palace, and he was looking over the capital of the nation of Babylon. And from history, we can know uh, kind of what it was like back then, this amazing town that had been built and uh, that, that represented the amazing nation that they had accomplished through conquest. And what we know from history is that in, the, in, in where he would have been standing on the palace looking, he would have seen a network of busy canals with boats going through the doing commerce and people traveling on these, on these busy canals. They would have seen the glistening walls of the city because it was known for having these tiled, the tiled city, that the walls were tiled and would have been glistening. And he would have been right where, if you know something from history, the hanging gardens were. The hanging gardens in ancient, in ancient world were considered one of the seven wonders of the world. It was an amazing city. Matter of fact, it was the most amazing city on earth. Now let's see what Nebuchadnezzar said to himself one day as he stood on that palace and he looked over the city that, that he was the head of. So Daniel chapter 4, let's read, um, starting in verse 28. It says, Now all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, 
12 months after he had a vision. He's talking, this is referring to he had a vision about things that were going to happen to him, and then we see it happening right here. 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built, as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? And while the word was in his king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his domain is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and my splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. Look at him. Look at, look at his beliefs. Look at his perspectives before God turned him into a cow. That's what really happened. He turned into a, act like the beast. He ate grass, lived out in the fields. Before, for a period of time, he thought he was a cow. Look at the, what, what he thought about the glory of Babylon. He thought, this glorious place that I'm looking at with the canals and the tiled, the tiled walls and the, and the hanging gardens, look at how wonderful I am because of what I've accomplished. Verse 30, it says, is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by my might, of my power, and for the glory of my majesty? You see, I contend that Nebuchadnezzar's opinion here, that this is a normal human perspective on life. Maybe someone isn't standing on the roof of their palace looking over an empire... But we stand in our own little kingdoms, looking at our accumulation and looking at our accomplishments, looking at who we are, what we've become, what we've gained, what we've bought, what we've built, and often the belief in our hearts is this, the same as Nebuchadnezzar. And all that I have and all that I've accomplished is the result of all I have built, and we'd add this, and my education and my hard work and my ingenuity, by my power, he says, and for my majesty, or for my enjoyment and my pleasure. 
You see, it's easy for us to fall into the same trap as Nebuchadnezzar did. Believing that all he has and all that, that he accomplished was his as a result of his own strength, his own wisdom, his own effort, himself. There's a failure to understand and acknowledge the hand of God often in people's life's situation. Well, God went to some pretty big extremes to give Nebuchadnezzar, as a friend of mine would say, a plumbing up. A friend, he always talked about when he was raising his kids, he'd say, my kids need to be plumbed up. Nebuchadnezzar needed to be plumbed up to get him to understand something. He gave him the mind of a cow, and he says he spent seven periods living in a field eating grass. Now, I'm not sure how long a period. Was a period a month? Was a period a year? Either way, we know it was a long enough time for his hair to grow so long so it looked like eagle's feathers, and his nails to grow so long they looked like claws. He got rained on. It talks about the dew of heaven was on him. You know, so he was soaking wet, living in a field like an animal. And we ask ourselves this, what was the reason God did that? What was God's objective in doing it? It was to get Nebuchadnezzar to realize that it was God who placed him in the position that he was in, and God who accomplished great things through him, and God who should get the praise and the honor for all that is accomplished, and that he should understand that his life was really to be lived, surrendered to the plan and the purposes and the glory of God. That's what God was trying to get him. And what we see in the story is that eventually he got it. Look at verses 34 and 35. He says, but at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, no one can ward off his hand or say, what have you done? That's what Nebuchadnezzar had been saying. What have you done? I've done it all. I think I've mentioned this before, but there's a country song that talks about, I'm a hard-working man. I wear a steel hard hat. You know the song? A hammer and paint. I'm trying to think. Do things that most men can't. You know that song? But... What song is that? You know what song I'm talking about. Somebody, please tell me. Because I can't keep singing it. But here's the deal. You know what that song is talking about? I'm doing it all myself. I did it all. Everything I have, it says I got by the sweat of my brow. Nebuchadnezzar thought that. Everything I've got, I got by the sweat of my brow. You know what? It's not that Nebuchadnezzar didn't work hard. It's not that we don't work hard. It's not that we don't use the opportunities given to us. But there's something underneath that, something deeper we need to understand. God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know that whether he realized it or not, God is is involved in the affairs of mankind. That God has a plan, that he's working out his plan, and that mankind is God's intention for mankind to play a part in the plan of God. And that the followers of God, and if you're a follower of Jesus, that means you and me, need to know that God has a plan and that we are to seek to participate in His plan by seeking His guidance and following His leadings. That we should follow His plan for us and not simply create our own plans that primarily seek to accomplish the things that we envision 
would be wonderful for our lives. Our plans could be bigger, our plans could be small, but we can only dream our dreams and plan our plans. Now, the reason I start with this story today about Nebuchadnezzar and why we looked at what God was teaching through the story is because I think it so clearly illustrates the point that James is making in the verses that we're going to look at today. See, James is dealing with the same idea. And it's an idea that we really need to wrestle with because in our culture, we think exactly the opposite of what James is saying here. We think a lot more like Nebuchadnezzar. James is dealing with this idea of living a self-directed life versus a God-directed life. Self-directed. We like to say things like, oh, self-centered or God-centered. But I'm saying this, I think this is the point. There's a distinction. It's a self-directed life that we generally live instead of a God-directed life. He's dealing with the human tendency to forget that God has a big plan and that He gets, uh, gifts us individuals with who we are and what we can accomplish in order to be part of that big plan. And Often we forget that and can live as though all our resources and all of our abilities are simply assets that we have at our disposal to accomplish our own plans. So we dream our dreams and we accomplish our own things often without little or no consideration of, at all of what God might be trying to accomplish with us and through us in order to accomplish His big plan that's for our good and for the good of humanity. See, Nebuchadnezzar didn't get that and I think Nebuchadnezzar more accurately reflects the attitude of our culture than what James is going to say, which is kind of just the opposite. So grab your Bible and, and flip over to the book of James. And let's see what James has to say that, as we've been saying the last couple of weeks, that James has these countercultural ideas. These ideas that, that are completely different than the world around us believes. So look at James chapter 4. Let's start in verse 13. It's where we left off. And I like the way it starts. As a matter of fact, in this section and the next section we're going to look at next week, he starts with these same two words. Come now. When James, when, the, when James, the elder of the church of Jerusalem, looks at you and he goes, Josh, come now. He's trying to get our attention, right? Come now. I think he's probably pointing as he does it. Have I ever said come now to you, Josh? I don't think so. Come on, Josh. Come now. You who say, all you Nebuchadnezzars, and I'm saying this, this is what we, this is an attitude that we have and we've been taught to have. And James, this is not condemning. This is countercultural and it's revolutionary thinking. And if we don't get it, we don't become part of the big plan of God. We miss the blessing of God. But beyond that, we miss God's ability to change the world through us the way He wants to as individuals and as a church. Because we think like this, we think like Nebuchadnezzar. Come now all us Nebuchadnezzars, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and we'll spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or do that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, 
All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him, it's sin. Let's remember something that we've been reminding ourselves all along through the book of James. And we have to do this every time. James is writing to church people. James is writing to you and me. The very first beginning of the book, the very first verses tell us he's writing this to Christian people who are dispersed. He's writing this to us. James' view here is once again very countercultural, the opposite of culture. He confronts followers of Jesus for doing what their culture encourages them to do. Make your plans. Establish your business plan. Set your one-year goal, your five-year goal, your ten-year goal. Dream big dreams and work to accomplish those dreams. Isn't that exactly what verse 13 is saying? Today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city. We'll spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. He's saying, you're just dreaming your dreams. That's the message of our culture. Dream your dreams, set your goals, work hard, accomplish your dreams. Set your goals, make a business plan, build your kingdom. Now understand something, church. Having goals and dreams is a good thing. Working hard to accomplish goals and dreams is a good thing. Where James separates himself from the thinking of the world in this area, what makes him countercultural in this idea is this. James is saying that the dreams and the goals and the visions need to come from God. That's what he's getting at. He's saying the things you say you're going to do, you got your plan all laid out for life, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. Some people, from, you know, at age 20, they got the whole life planned out until they kick the bucket. Every step of the way, they think they know what they're going to do. The question is, is that what God's plan is for that person? If God gave us life, shouldn't we figure out what God has to say about what our life should be? The thing that separates James' idea here is that James is saying that the dreams and the goals and the visions that we live for need to come from God that our dreams and our goals should not be simply driven by me getting what I want, or as verse 13 says, just making a profit through my business dealings so that I can have what I want and do what I want to do. The thing that makes James countercultural is that he insists that we surrender our dreams and our visions to the will of God, that we seek the Lord's will, that we seek to see how we fit into His big plan. In fact, we don't have plans apart from the plans of God. Now, maybe God's plan for your life is to make you a Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe it is. To be a person of great resources and great accomplishments and great influence. Maybe that's his plan for you. Maybe he says, he looked down through the annals of time and he says, I'm going to select you and I'm going to have you do this and that to accomplish this great thing. Because it's the plan of God. But unlike Nebuchadnezzar, before his journey into the animal world, understanding that God has given you those great resources and great abilities and great opportunities and great accomplishments in order to be part of his big plan of having all mankind come to know the love and the greatness of God. It's understanding that the ultimate goal of your life is to be God-directed and God-glorifying, not self-directed and self-glorifying. So maybe God's plan for you is to be a Nebuchadnezzar, a person of great influence. 
But maybe God's plan for you, that becomes part of God's big plan, is for you to be somewhat obscure. Maybe his plan isn't for you to be the next Nebuchadnezzar or even somebody down the rank. Maybe his plan for you is to be quite obscure. And his plan for you is to accomplish things. He made you in such a way to accomplish things that no one else can accomplish the same way as you can behind the scenes where you don't even really get any credit or any reward for it, much reward. Well, your job is to influence other people who will influence others maybe in big ways some days. Now think of this. If the culture around you, our culture, is continually telling us that we need to advance, that we need to get more, be more, do more, accomplish more, rise higher, but God's plan is to keep you behind the scenes, then you have to make a choice. You will have to reject what culture says is what everybody's supposed to do and be willing to follow the plan of God, knowing that His plan is best for you and it's best for you because it's part of His great plan to accomplish wonderful things for all of eternity, for all mankind. That's why James says, instead of acting like the world, the Nebuchadnezzar thinking, just everything I have is at my assets to be used for my glory, to accomplish my plans... James says, instead, you ought to say this. If the Lord wills, we will live. We'll also do this, we'll also do that. He's saying, what's the will and the plan of God in the whole thing? Friends, what what James is calling us to, he's calling us to radical obedience. I think before that, he's calling us to radical seeking. To radical seeking, which leads to radical obedience obedience, where we seek to be part of the big plan of God, where we recognize that our life is a gift from God to be offered to God to accomplish His plans for His glory. We're really good at praying, you know, praying the verse of the scripture, you know, Lord, my life is a living sacrifice, I offer it to you. But do we understand what that means? It means being radical seekers of God in order to be radically obedient to the plan of God. Now, James, in order to get us to understand this in its proper perspective, in the scope, because he's talking about the big plans of God and the little plans of life and how we should not just try to live our own little plan of life, but make sure that we are, that we are fit into the big plan of God because that's the ultimate goal of humanity. James puts us in proper perspective for us by talking about our plan-making in light of the brevity of life. Look at verse 14, what he says. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a while and then vanishes away. You know, last Sunday we prayed for a friend of mine, a person that a lot of you know, Pastor Ron Auk. We prayed for him because he had heart surgery and he wasn't doing well. We prayed to God to heal him and set him free and you know, give him life and, and he passed away this week. Now, after he passed away, what I didn't tell you is that I had been talking to him about possibly having him come to our church to do services in a couple weeks ago. And a friend of mine from another church in the area texted me, hey, did you hear that Ron died? And he goes, wow, I guess that changes my plans for the first week of January. 
Because the first week of January, he had scheduled Ron to do a prayer seminar at their church. Life is short. James says you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You think you do, but you don't. You are just a vapor that appears for a while and then vanishes away. James looks at what people are doing, church people. He sees something about, along these lines. He sees they're making their own plans. They're accomplishing their own goals. All without the thought about what God may be up to. How God might want to use them in his big plan to accomplish wonderful and internal things, eternal things, things that are much more important than any dream I could ever dream up on my own. So James reminds us how short life really is. He says it's just like a vapor. Think of, a, you know, you, you have your cup of coffee and that vapor rises off the cup and it's gone. It's here one moment and it's gone the next. What he's trying to do is to get us to understand that no matter how big our plans and dreams and goals are that we can come up with, and because life is life, some of you enter into situations in life where your goals seem a lot bigger than somebody else's, but no matter how big they are, they are really small, and he's in this, they're unimportant in relationship to eternity. Those things that, that we work our finger to the bone to accomplish will be gone in a moment. The length of time that it takes for a vapor to disappear. But if we will seek the Lord's will and honestly engage in and become part of His plan, radical seekers and radical obeyers, that's what then lasts forever. Understanding the brevity of life helps us to realize that the most important, most meaningful thing that we can do with our life is to be part of what God is accomplishing in His plan. Life is short. The wisest thing is to invest what we have into what outlasts us. King David makes the same point. Matter of fact, it's made over and over in Scripture, but King David makes the same point in Psalm 39. We have a slide of Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. Look what it says here. It says, Lord... This is saying, help me to understand. Lord, make me know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how, to transist I, how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Look what he, how he describes something up there. You have made my days... They are a hand breath. Do you understand the imagery here? Hand breath was a way of measuring with the palm of your hand. Something could be measured by how many hands it is. Matter of fact, we still kind of do that today. What do we measure by hands? Horses. A horse is 16 hands high or 14 hands high. Do they measure cows by hands? No. They don't? Okay. We have some farmers here, but they measure horses by hands. It's that same kind of idea and a hand breadth was was three to four inches and all our hands are different sizes but it was about three to four inches in length so I want you to imagine something with me right now close your eyes for a moment I want you to imagine a rope a cord 
And that cord starts all the way back at the beginning of human existence. That, that cord starts on the day of creation. When the Lord said, let us. And they made the world in six days. And made man. And that rope then extends forward throughout history. Through all the, the, the patriarchs. Through all the prophets. And all the kings. And that rope continues to, to, to come toward us. And, and it comes to the time of Jesus. For 2,000 years ago. The rope extends towards us further, towards all the kingdoms that have risen and fallen for, for decades and millennia. And it comes to us in 2018, and then we look the other direction, and that rope extends a hundred years, and a thousand years, and five thousand years, and ten thousand years, and forever. unimaginable length. And David here says in the psalm, the span of your life is a hand's breadth. In the seat next to you, pick up the cord that's in the seat next to you. you when you sat down, there was a little cord, a piece of cord on the chair. Now these are not all exactly the same length, and it's on purpose. They're all about a hand's breadth. They're all about the width of your palm. Some are a little longer and some are a little shorter because some of your lives are going to be a little longer and some are going to be a little shorter than the person next to you. It's just the way it is. This represents the brevity of a person's life. That's how long your life is. Never thought of this. Be part of God's plan. There's a smile. Don't, there's a frown. But that represents... On that whole cord you could imagine, from creation throughout eternity, that's what you get on this globe. Now we're created to live for eternity, and we will. But God has a purpose for us on this globe. And I want you to, to keep this. Maybe use it as a bookmarker or stick it on your dresser, somewhere where you see it, to remind you that life is short and we should use our time wisely church what what god wants for us to understand is that he is eternal and he has an eternal plan and not one of you in this room is an accident and not one of you is here by accident we are all created to be part of god's plan nebuchadnezzar was part of god's plan god gave him great influence and he took it away then he gave it back it was god's plan but what a waste it is if we settle for living our lives for our little plans. Those things that can only last a hand's breadth. Rather than living like the world around us, where visions can only extend to the days of our own lives that long, God calls us to live lives of continually surrendering ourselves to be part of His eternal plan so that so that this is engrafted in the whole plan
So we live lives of radical seeking and radical surrender. We ask God, God, have you done this this morning? God, how would you like to work in and through me in this 24-hour gift that I've been given today? Today. God, you gave me 24 hours. Most of us, maybe not all of us, Ron, my friend who passed away last week, he would have thought when he woke up that one morning he was going to be there at the end of the day. And he's not. But we say this, I think I have a full day today. God, what would you want to do with my 24 hours today? Or we ask this for the bigger things. God, what vocation would you like for me? Instead of saying this, you know what, what vocation just makes the most money? What vocation gives me the best benefits? And there's nothing wrong with money and benefits. Matter of fact, I believe God wants us to be blessed. But instead of letting those be the ruling things, or when a child parent comes to you and says, you know what, I think God wants me to go into a vocation that doesn't make a lot of money. I think I want to go into ministry, or I think I want to go into service. I want to be a social worker, or something like that. Do you say, no, 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 you can't do that because the plan of life is that you should have something more meaningful for this little span. Instead, what if we say to God, God, what would you like me to do with the life that you've given me for a vocation? Or this, God, who would you want me to marry? Instead of, wow, he's just really cute or she's just really smart or whatever. Or this, how, God, should I use the resources that you've entrusted to me for your plans? How should I use my energy? How should I use my income? How should I use the hours of my day? They're your resources. How should I use them? Do we ask those questions in everything, every day, seeking the direction of the Lord? That's what James is trying to get at in this text. He's trying to say the church people he's looking at weren't doing that. He's trying to say, do it. Now, he's not doing that out of a sense of condemnation. He's doing it for the best of the people because the best thing you can do is live your little tiny hand's breadth of time as best you can in the purpose and plans of God. James here ends this section in a way that, that no pastor would end today. Matter of fact, James would never be invited back to preach in a church twice. Because look what he says as the very last verse in this, verse um, 17. He says, therefore. And it's tied to, therefore, when you see therefore, it's referring to things. He says all those, he says, therefore, what's gone before, what I've just said, this is relating to that, therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is a sin. James doesn't mess around. He says, living a life of seeking and following your own way is not right. He says it's a sin. He says that that Christians are to live in a way where we seek God's direction for our life and we live according to it. We just don't say, say, well, I'm going to go to such and such a town and I'm going to make a profit and I'm going to live there for a year and I'm going to do this. He says, no, no, what's God have for your life? What's the Lord will for your life? He says to live a self-directed life, James calls it sin. Again, I don't think James would be invited back to too many towns, too many churches to preach because 
people would say, who are you to tell me what to do? But I think James is this. James is looking at a group of, a group of people that he's writing to that he loves dearly. We've, 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 laid that, we've established that through this, you know, these months that we've looked at the book of James. He loves the church. I think he looks at them and he's trying to get them to understand this. He says, if you understand the brevity of life, that it's only this long, it's a hand's breath, it's a vapor, and it's gone. And we realize that we can be part of God's eternal plan then why in the world would we ever settle for living for our little plans? He's saying that. Why would you settle for it? Why would you settle for something that you concocted that you think is, a, is, you know, is maybe all right and good, but when God has something better for you? Church, the greatest life is a life of using your hand breath of time as a part of God's eternal plan and purposes. Now, I'm not saying in this, as I close, that... This is a matter of salvation. He's not saying that. He's not saying that this means you're saved or not saved. Because it doesn't. Salvation is by grace. It's a free gift. What he's saying is, why would you want to live where your life doesn't matter? Why would you want to live a life out of step with the grand scheme of God when he offers to his children to be part of what he's doing that's so much greater than even what Nebuchadnezzar had. You know, that's why I started there. Put it in that context. Nebuchadnezzar had what the world around us says is everything. The richest, most powerful person on the planet with all the money in the world, he could build and accomplish anything. But he wasn't doing it according to understanding to be part of God's scheme. And we can do the same thing. So James says, you know, why would you want to live any other way? than the life of being surrendered to the plan of God, especially in light of the fact that what we strive and strive and work and live sleepless nights for lasts that long. And it's over. Remember asking my dad, and some of you are going to say, oh, he was a spring chicken when you asked this. But I told somebody the other day, I think it was Tony we were talking. When my dad turned 75 years old, he's now 81, I said, Dad, what's it like to be 75? He said, up here, I'm 24 years old. He said, I think, I act, I'm, just, I'm 24. But my body won't do what it's supposed to do anymore. Because we were hunting together, we were out in the woods. And it was the first time in my life, and he didn't tell him this at the time, but the first time in my life that, that he was walking slower than me. If you ever walked with the Larson clan, it's not a walk, it's a sprint. So I have to learn to slow down all the time. But I learned it from him, he always runs when he walks. And we were coming out of the woods and he was walking behind me. And I realized that he was slumped over and he was kind of walking like this. He was exhausted. I said, what's it like to be 75? And he said, I was 24 yesterday. Friends, life's that long. That's not a bad thing. I want to live, we just read the book, All Things New Around Here. We get to live in eternity in a new heaven and new earth. It's glorious. In light of that, He's saying, why would you spend this doing something that's out of step with God by just saying, like the culture around you, just dream a dream, come up with some plan, work hard to accomplish it, and we live in the land of opportunity, so you can do that. Live in the land so we can have all the education and all the opportunities. We can do that. But understand that God's saying, I created you to be part of this over here, and you're going that way. 
doesn't mean you're not, a, you're not a, a, a child of God. It just means your life is not what it was meant to be because it's not a life of radical seeking and radical obedience. So as we close today, my suggestion is that we take some time to honestly ask if we're living on our own little plans or if we're living really in step with God's plan. Now, I'm not saying it's a once-done deal, and I'm not saying it's an exact science, and I wrestle all the time. I've left churches believing, you know, God said to go to a new place and plant a new church, and I got there, and I said, oh, maybe I'm supposed to stay. Did I make a mistake? Did I make a mistake? Should I have done this? Move my family to Cambodia, and then have some issues come up and go, oh, I got to leave, you know, after a couple years, and, and come home, and, uh, and go, that was a mistake? But here's what I know. If we seek with honest hearts, God will direct our paths. He doesn't necessarily boom out of heaven and tell you, go do this, but you, you, your knower tends to know. You try to follow it. Sometimes you're going to question it. But if we would just be a people who every day woke up and say, God, what would you like for me? Every day of our lives, I believe he would guide and direct. We'd make some mistakes. Sure, we'd make some mistakes. We're humans. He knows us. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible from Psalm 103. It says, God knows your frame. He knows where you came from. You're just dust. He goes, Mark, you're doing more than I ever expected out of you. You're just a pile of dirt. I'm so happy that it's it's a pile of dirt you're following after me. I made you in my image. So we make mistakes. That's okay. But it's an attitude towards life of surrender and saying, God, I want to live with you. Not just, I want to do this. I got my own plan all laid out and I'm just going to go to church on Sunday morning. That's not what he has. He's got something so much more for us. So my, my suggestion is that we would just ask the Lord and say, God, am I living my life on my own? And if I am, God, how do I come in line with what you want for me? God, if you're, if you're, if you're in a season of life where you're young and you're saying, what's my next step? You know? God, what do you want for me? Spend time thinking about that. Instead of just saying, well, the world says I have to do this next. No, what's God say for you? So that's the thing I'd suggest. And maybe there's one more suggestion today. And we'll give you an opportunity for this as we close. Maybe you're here today. And you know this about your life. That you know, if I was to say, here's the plan of God for the world. You know your life is going that way. Because you're not walking in step with the Lord. Maybe you've never even heard you could walk in step with the Lord. Maybe you've never even known before that Jesus loves you and he's here to you to hear by his spirit to welcome you into his family and give you a brand new life in Christ. But something's happening inside of you today and you're talking about this idea of God having plans and God raising people up like Nebuchadnezzar and bringing them down and God having this big, big plan for the world and And you recognize you want to be part of what God is doing. You've never given your life to Jesus, but you want to. He can do that today. So I invite you all this morning, let's just close in prayer together. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Not that there's anything really spiritual about that, but just a private moment this morning. So each one of us can just be honest with ourself this morning first thing I ask you to think about is are you in the habit of living your life in step with with the Lord 
Do you really spend your, your life saying, God, I want to hear your plan and walk in step with it? Or is it really just, I have my own plans and I'm going to ask you to bless it? Or I have my own plans and I'm going to ask you to, uh, my own plans and I'm going to ask you to, um, to just uh, take me to heaven one day as I once in a while go to church. That it's not about going to church. It's about a life of being in step with Jesus. And as you're thinking about that, I think you'll know pretty immediately. If you say, you know what, I, I know Jesus as my Savior and my Lord, and, but really I just kind of live an independent life doing my own thing. Right now, just in the quietness of your heart, why don't you surrender that up to Jesus? Just surrender it up to Him and say, Lord, that's not what I want. I don't want to be a Nebuchadnezzar. I don't want to live a life where you have to somehow get my attention through some radical thing to get me to understand that you really are in charge. I don't want to live a life where where that's happening. I want to live a life where, where I'm doing my best to seek after you and walk after you. So just surrender that up to the Lord this morning. And maybe you're here today and you know to this point in your life you've not, not had a relationship with God. Maybe you didn't even know it's possible. Friends, know this this morning. You're here on purpose because God loves you. What He wants to help you do is change direction in your life instead of living a life where you're just going your own way to begin to have the opportunity to live a life where you walk in step with Him. Where He becomes your leader. That's what a Lord means, your leader. He becomes your Savior. Have you ever heard that word before, Savior? What it means, He saves you. Meaning, you were lost. And you need rescue. But spiritually, you're lost. And you need rescue. And this morning, what God is doing is offering you a rescue. He's saying, I'm here. I want to forgive you of your, all the junk in your life. I want to give you a brand new life as you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. So if you're here this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to start over on my left, your right in the sanctuary and I'm just going to look through the crowd if you say Pastor Mark, today I want to ask Christ in my life, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you I just want you to look up and look right square in the eye I'm not going to embarrass you but I'm going to start over on my left and just go through the church into the center section and over to my right and say yes to Jesus I need Jesus in my life alright Jesus, your Father We love you today. And Lord, you challenged us to go through the book of James. We really felt we were supposed to do that. And Lord, we knew while going through it, one of the reasons we knew it would be a challenge is because James says such really hard things to us. It would be easier sometimes, Lord, just to go through the, the easy things. But we felt challenged to go through the hard things because you want the best for us. And so, Lord, now we... Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you that you challenge us and that you want the best for us. Amen. Let's stand together, church.
And we close with the greet, the blessing that Aaron blessed the priests with from number six. He said this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful day in Jesus. Take some time today to say, Jesus, how do I walk in step with you?